Today's School PR Drive Time is brought to you by Peach Jar. Welcome to another episode of School PR Drive Time, a podcast produced by NCSPRA. I'm Stacia Harris, a member of the NCSPRA media team, and I'm the director of communications for Buncombe County Schools. In today's episode, we're tackling artificial intelligence and the future of marketing. As an emerging technology, there's no denying the impact AI will have on our personal and professional lives. Whether ChatGPT is writing copy for us, should it be writing copy for us? Or AI helping us parse social media metrics to make strategic marketing decisions, it all feels like the sky's the limit. Joining me today to unpack this subject are two professors from the University of Texas, Austin, Professor Tracy Arrington and Professor Glenn Griffin. Professor Arrington specializes in marketing and AI, and Professor Griffin specializes in teaching and development of creativity and advertising, and is currently navigating the impact of AI on the industry and how students should think about it. We have lots to tackle today. Let's start the show. Hello, Professors Arrington and Griffin, and welcome to School PR Drive Time. First up, I'd like you both to tell me a little bit about your teaching background and your focus on artificial intelligence. Thanks, Stacia, for having us. Um, I've been teaching creativity for more than 20 years now, and I recently became the director of Texas Creative, which is a world-renowned advertising portfolio development program here in the School of Advertising and PR at UT Austin. Uh, my students, for the most part, aspire to become art directors and writers in ad agencies. And prior to this gig, I led advertising portfolio programs at the University of Colorado Boulder, the University of Alabama, and Southern Methodist University in Dallas. I love being back in Austin, as I did my PhD here a million years ago. And today's topic is of interest to me as someone who's heavily involved in preparing students for all sorts of industry realities. And AI is a very relevant factor, I think, when it comes to creativity and the creative process. Hi, Stacia. My background in teaching, this is, uh, at the at the end of December, will be, will mark my the close of my 10th year uh, teaching at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, I am not an educator by trade. My sister has a PhD in educational policy, but um, I was asked by the dean of, of the Moody College uh, a decade ago to come in and join uh, the teaching staff. I've, I've been a full-time industry practitioner my entire career, and their desire was to have um, pre more practitioners on campus to help students keep pace with how rapid uh, the advertising and marketing industries are changing and will continue to change. So I tell people teaching is is the ultimate side hustle, but I have always uh, taught media investments. I've taught in integrated campaign communication. I'm building artificial intelligence curriculum um, for the Moody College as well as the business school. And it's, it's some of the best time of every day is time on campus, time with students, and really bridging the divide between academia and industry that can sometimes exist in really dynamic fields. Fabulous. Well, both of your backgrounds are why I wanted to bring you on our podcast to begin begin unpacking this topic. I feel like every time I get on social media, I'm seeing a new website or, or new app that promotes AI for something. So ChatGPT, that's probably one of the more popular ones. But I've also discovered a website that will build a logo and essentially a branding package for you at a bargain. 
way less than what a, a graphic designer would would charge you. And, and of course, I've also seen AI that can turn an idea, just give it some words, give it some prompts, and it'll create art for you. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, AI is advancing so fast and maybe advancing faster than maybe advertising PR and marketing pros can sort of keep up. And so, and more importantly, keeping up, it's asking these d- deep questions about how are we using it and are we using it for good? Are we using it for evil? You know, like what, how do we implement it uh, without, without getting into trouble? So I do want to start the conversation there and because and, I'm feeling positive today, let's start with the good. So um, how can AI be used for good? So, so let's start with this question. What are some examples of successful AI powered personalization strategies in marketing and how can they benefit all stakeholders involved? Nisha, I'll I'll take that question. I I think there are hundreds of examples of positive impact that technology can have and and is continuing to have, uh, particularly as it relates to uh, the marketing and advertising field. Uh, We look at what is traditionally the marketing funnel, um, which really is a plate of spaghetti, much more so than a funnel, to be honest with you. But you look looking at things like awareness, engagement, consideration, purchase. Today, we have AI impacting all of those things. In awareness, we see um, just the sheer presence of a search engine, right? That is backed by machine learning and, and AI. So when you think about Google, it's already a, a part of everybody's everyday life. Um, we look at websites, um, programmatic media that's serving uh, particular ads based on uh, not just demographics, behave- but behaviors. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly glad to see um, more sophisticated marketers moving away from demographics and, and focusing on uh, behaviors because demographics alone are are fairly exclusionary. Um, but we're, we're looking at user-generated content um, reviews on sites that are influencing um, purchase behavior, and the opportunity to personalize really comes down to the amount of information um, that is readily available. First-party data that brands uh, may own themselves, third-party data that's readily available as it as we as we leave a lot of breadcrumbs as we uh, navigate the web, and what we look at, what we ask about, how we talk, where we live. All those things are clues that marketers are picking up on and doing their best to use to customize content. So should I serve an ad, the same ad to you, Stacia, that I that I serve to you, Glenn? Probably not. You live in different places. You have different day-to-day needs. Um, your situations could be drastically different, but not necessarily so. So we need the information. We need to make informed decisions because all of the data shows that People don't mind advertising as long as it is accurate, informative, relevant, engaging, and and in some cases, entertaining. So um, you can be um, an uninvited guest uh, and have people happy to have you there, um, but not if you're serving them things that are irrelevant or or boring or or offensive to some people. Yeah, I would uh, add to that, you know, as a as an educator who specializes in developing creativity, um, I'm navigating what AI is going to be, um, what my students should know about it now, how they should think about it um, in context with their own 
thinking abilities cognitively as human beings. Um, obviously, businesses are navigating AI and, and learning how they can best use it. And as you pointed out, uh, Stacia, what best practices are and where they shouldn't cross lines. Um, but let's not forget, consumers are also being introduced to this technology um, in the form of the communication that we produce. And if I could give a specific example that I've actually shared with my students, um, the Heinz Catch-Up Company um, had a recent campaign called This is What Catch-Up Looks Like to AI. And they invited consumers to input what does catch-up look like to, a, to an AI engine. And they got a lot of really, you know, divergent and interesting imagery. But the common denominator was that the bottles and the labels look like Heinz bottles, um, which pointed out, you know, the persuade the pervasive and sort of ubiquitous nature of that brand and, and showed that they really owned the category, even though there were mistakes and flaws in those images. And so I, I really like that Heinz use the technology to celebrate and point out the dominance of their brand, but they also pointed out the fact that AI is not perfect yet. And I'm not sure I want to live in a world where AI is perfect. So <laughs> those would be scary times. Once it gets perfect, then then uh then we're talking iRobot and we can march out uh, lots of other <laughs> terrifying examples. Um so uh Professor Arrington, you mentioned uh data and I think this is definitely something that resonates with with anyone who's on social media, anyone who who relies on analytics to make decisions on strategies. What ways or can you kind of unpack how AI can help help us improve our efficiency and our and our accuracy in, in what we are delivering to the market and delivering to potential customers? Absolutely. You know, from a data standpoint, we are already inundated with data. And as we see the Internet of Things growing medical devices, smart refrigerators, your washing machine is now um, sending data on how many loads of reds versus whites you do um, with advertisers taking that data and customizing uh, creative to feature people wearing more red clothes or more white clothes based on how often you do laundry in those colors. Um, we see it as a blessing and a curse. Um, we have a lot of data. We're going to continue to have even more of it, a landslide of it, if you will. So it's it's a wonderful opportunity to learn and extract insights. Uh, but there's also already too much of it for most um, for most marketers, for most um, of those working in business operations, because it's 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 so much of it, cleaning it, structuring it, organizing it, making it useful, protecting it. It's already a heavy lift. So we look at AI as being incredibly helpful in helping to, to crunch the numbers, helping to bring everything together. We see tools available to help us clean and structure data. Things like identity resolution. If you are shopping with, um, let's say Nike, and you have purchased um, products from Nike using three different email addresses, um, two different credit cards. Um, on, uh, on one card, you are S. Harris. On another card, you are Stacia Harris. On a third card, um, you know, 
maybe you have a nickname, Stacia Q, or something you were called in childhood, uh, Nike may think that you are three people, five people, 12 people. That's why you get multiple catalogs in the mail. That's why you get the same email seven times. So we see tools now that can help us clean and structure that data, um, resolve identity so that Nike understands you are one consumer who is very powerful transacting with them in multiple ways. Um, and so that's a first step in in really solidifying that that brand relationship. And we we see um, AI helping quite a bit there. Um, when we when we think about attribution, um, what advertisements are motivating action? What um, what combination of advertisements are motivating action? Because um, as much as we would like to think that that single display ad or that single out of home board will move you to um, to buy a $60,000 car, that's that's pie in the sky, right? So um, multi-touch attribution where we look at um, what combination of exposures across what channels are actually motivating action, are actually reaching people. We will always rely on machines and AI to do that work for us because it's just simply too much information um, for a human being to calculate even a data scientist is going to take a, take a minute to ingest all of this. So um, I see those as the most immediate um, opportunities for us to learn um, and leverage AI. And also um, any kind of mon mundane tasks that we are um, slogging through day in and day out. Um, I think the creative side is where we need to remain a lot more heavy handed, even though there are a lot of people playing um, in the space with with AI and in the, the creative side of things. Um, there is still an incredible lack of humanity and connection through that requires a human eye to understand sarcasm, to understand humor. Um, you know, AI is still very much a toddler, um, still needs a lot of teaching and probably always will. And, and I, I don't want to get too far into the the cons, but as we head into the break, I do want to ask both of you to let's unpack some of the ethical considerations with using AI and, and incorporating AI into your workflow. Um, and, and like you said, it's not like we're at a point where AI will replace everything that creatives do, but I think it is important for us to figure out how to work smarter, not harder, and to utilize the technology, but to also not get into this weird gray area where it may not be an appropriate tool sort of in, in this creative space. And so um, whoever wants to, to go first, let's talk about some of the ethical considerations. Well, I'll start. I'll just, I'll just be really basic with this. Um, I would say that as an industry, we have a professional obligation to our clients to provide them with the best work that we can and I, I think that if to the extent that AI truncates the creative process or God forbid replaces it in any sense, then we're falling short of our obligations to our clients. And um, like I said, I, I think most brands, most companies are still figuring out best practices for AI. Um, but at the same time, we've seen a lot of industry conversation about concern um, to the extent that AI will replace people. Um, <clears throat> I, I've, I've particularly heard this from copywriters because um, at this point, I think AI is better at writing than it is imagery, <laughs> as the Heinz example showed us. 
Um, but, you know, I think we have to be cautious about the role that AI plays in our business because, you know, advertising is a fairly young industry to start with. And, you know, I think to protect our professional reputations and to to protect our status as a as a profession in general, we can't let a technology replace what humans do best. I agree with Glenn, and I'll I'll take the question down two different paths. One from a professional standpoint, I couldn't agree with Glenn more. I think that um, there is an obligation to be transparent with clients to disclose when you are and are not using AI. I would say I tend to lean on it for inspiration, but not to replace a certain action, in particular um, copywriting. Um, it adds a lot to the ideation process. It may spur something that you may not have have been thinking about initially, which is which is wonderful. Uh, but there are still um, significant issues. Um, it's attractive for a brand or a client to say, well, why do we need so many copywriters? Why do we need so many fill in the blank with the paid role? We'll just have AI do it. There's a, a tremendous lack of understanding of what it takes to bring a AI forward. Um, we'll go back to data, such a significant commitment to technology, um, to software, to hardware, to to stand ready to deploy AI and certainly to do it in a secure manner. Everyone's quick rush to chat GPT left a lot of brands compromised because um, it's it's uh, everything you put into chat GPT becomes um, public domain. Well, if you are using it, playing around with it, toying with it, you know, help me write my annual shareholder report, then all of a sudden, very highly confidential information is now out for anybody and everybody to scrape it. So um, on the uh, on the second path, um, from a consumer data privacy standpoint, incredible concerns, um, particularly as it relates to healthcare, personally identifiable information, that is that is a, a, a significant cause for concern. Um, however, the data is needed to produce more positive healthcare outcomes, especially in compromised communities. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. We see similar concerns in the financial sector where people's um, financial information uh, is, is potentially compromised left and right with, with data breaches, but uh, as you are conducting so much commerce online, those habits and behaviors being aggregated uh, tends to make people uncomfortable. So we see a lot of laws coming onto the books um, in, in Europe to start here in the US, California leading the way in that charge. Uh, I do not personally believe government will ever keep up. Um, it's just, it's governments are cumbersome. They're, it's It takes a lot of time to think about things, get things passed. We have lawmakers that don't understand the technology to begin with. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. We'll see where people draw the line um, when it comes to data about their children. Um, you know, we're talking about up and coming generations having best friends that are AI agents and AI agents following you and being your being there for you throughout the entirety of your life. Um, what does that mean when you become um, over reliant on it and fail to function 
let's say if the tech fails for a particular day, you see um, if, if Meta went down for a day, you would literally see people walking around in circles, not able to function without it. Um, so lots of ethical questions, um, lots of misinformation and disinformation already in existence that current AI is drawing from. If you play around with it long enough, you'll figure out that AI lies. Um, and that's disconcerting. Um, so we need to focus on um, authenticity. We need to focus on transparency. Um, and we need to focus on how we're asking questions. Uh, prompt engineers, query engineers, um, rapidly growing field because uh, we need to be very specific when we speak to AI. It's it's uh, grasp of nuance is certainly not there yet. And I want to lift up. I'm glad you brought up HIPAA and and essentially giving confidential information to the machine to help you with some sort of message for school PR practitioners. A huge part of what we do is send messages to staff and families about sometimes very sensitive issues and and to think that you know we could be inadvertently loading up a bunch of protected student information in order to make you know our chaotic jobs a little bit easier that is a, a huge point to to lift up and and um unpack a little bit well our conversation is just getting started after the break we want to tackle the darker side of ai and marketing stay with us everyone you're listening to school pr drive time Did you know that students spend an average of 13% of their waking hours in school by the time they're 18? This leaves parents facing the question of how to fill the remaining 87%. Together with parents and communities, schools share in the joint mission to enrich the lives of children in and outside the classroom. But you can't do it alone. That's where Peach Jar comes in. With Peach Jar, your school can provide more resources, increase engagement with busy parents, and streamline communications so that you can spend more time focusing on celebrating student success. Trusted by more than 17,000 schools in 850-plus school districts, 34,000-plus community organizations, and more than 12 million parents nationwide, Peach Jar delivers resources that help communities thrive. Book a demo at www.peachjar.com today to learn how partnering with Peach Jar can help you streamline your communications process and better connect with your community. Welcome back to School PR Drive Time. Joining me today are professors from University of Texas, Austin, Professor Tracy Arrington and Professor Glenn Griffin. We are unpacking AI in marketing, AI in public relations and how we can use it for good. But we also now want to turn turn the conversation to um, the darker side of AI. So uh, first up, can either of you provide some examples of instances where AI-driven marketing campaigns have uh, face some backlash or some negative public perception for some reason? I'll, I'll kick off with that. I think one of the most widely publicized uh, has to do with election tampering or alleged election tampering. Um, we've seen accusations of this type here in the U.S. We've also seen it happening globally where, let's say, nefarious individuals, if you if you want to uh, put that moniker on them. Um, people looking to get their candidate elected um, are 
essentially manipulating um, exposure uh, with message frequency, with message content, based on data that's that's readily available. How you um, how you behave online, as I said earlier, leaves a lot of breadcrumbs about who you are. So, as you are liking certain pages, as you are commenting on certain posts and and images, all of that activity speaks to your proclivities one way or the other. Um, what may inspire you, what may anger you, um, how easy it is to inflame someone with issue-based content, um, that's all readily available with analysis and, and AI is certainly helping um, to speed up that analysis and produce additional insights. So we were talking about personalization earlier, we may choose to personalize, to uplift someone's experience, um, to provide a more accurate um, type of content to them in an ad. Uh, we can also use that information to ensure that we are fanning the flame of uh, tribalism, of discord. Um, and you see this coming from not a single political party, certainly, or not even a, a, a single type um, of of government, right? We see this happening all over the world. And as technology becomes more and more uh, pervasive, I think we'll continue to see it. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about, you know, what the first consumer wake-up call for the potential for technology to aggregate data and 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 use it in a way that that consumers aren't comfortable with. We can probably go all the way back to the early 2000s um, with Target. And uh, they had a very well-publicized scandal where they were identifying customers of theirs as likely to be pregnant based on their purchasing habits and um, the types of things that they browsed online and things like that. And, you know, when you think about that, anytime a consumer asks themselves, how do they know this about me? You know, that's, that's creepy. Um, and, and that's not a positive brand experience. And so um, it taught Target a lesson. It taught Target, I think, that just because you can doesn't mean you should, even if it serves, you know, the interests of sales and your company's profits. So I think that was a big wake up call. I also think that if used improperly, you know, we, we've seen brands take, take the financial services industry, for example, if they use data based on who are the best prospects for loans or who are the best prospects for mortgages, based on a historical record, then chances are they could very easily magnify discrimination. They could uh, repeat bad practices of the past in terms of ignoring candidates for those types of products. So, you know, if, if that that's why I think, you know, we as human beings will always be important in this process because I think we have to monitor what AI gives us um, and we have to curate and decide you know, just because a machine suggests it or proposes it doesn't mean it's perfect and doesn't mean that it's wise. So those are just a few thoughts on the topic that I had. The, with data that's currently available, even just using search data and contextual data, meaning what you're browsing, what you're reading online, we can tell if you're pregnant, we can tell if you're about to be divorced, we can tell if you are a family member has been diagnosed with a condition. Um, there are, are so many indicators that are glaringly obvious. And I think it's 
there's a, it places a huge responsibility on brands and marketers. And Glenn brought up a good point. When should you act and when should you not act? I have a, a personal uh, frustration and experience with my current health insurance company. They are very well-intended. I am confident that they are well-meaning in their actions, but I am a type one diabetic. Type one diabetics are very much in the minor minority. It's a pretty mm -hmm. rare condition. Type two diabetes, on the other hand, which is often caused by obesity, is a very common condition. In their data repository, they have me denoted as a diabetic with no differentiation between type one or type two. So I get consistent mailings from my healthcare company that says, Tracy, we'd like to talk to you about your obesity. And here's 10 ways you can lose weight. And here, um, here are some exercise tips because we want to help you beat the blahs and beat, beat your obesity. At an actual direct mail piece that said, beat obesity back. And every time it arrives, I have an absolute meltdown. Like I work out five days a week. I am not overweight. How dare you say this to me? And you know that they're doing it to improve my health outcome if I were a type two diabetic. But to me, it's offensive and they haven't gone far enough. They haven't asked the right questions. So, um, you know, it puts you in, a, in an interesting position. This is some, about something um, weight related, which is a, a hot button for a lot of people. But then I also feel guilty saying, you know, why am I getting so bent out of shape by the mere suggestion that I might be overweight? Like this is something I need to do some self-reflection on. But um, all of that is caused by likely an AI tool kicking out um, a list of people who we need to talk to about obesity, mm -hmm. right? It's it's complicated. Well, and it shows I, how AI can go off the rails. I'm sorry, go ahead, Professor Griffin. No, I'm, I was going to make a silly comment. Um, I was going to say I, I have a similar visceral response to AARP mailings. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, and that's, it's, there's such great examples and thank you for sharing that. It shows where AI can cause a disconnect between the organization and then the customer that they're trying to serve. And in this instance, you know, it, it, wasn't intentional, but the the consequence is you you have a negative feeling when you see that logo, that name, you know that brand show up in your mailbox because you know they're going to deliver you something that not only is it irrelevant but it's irritating. And as consumers, you you can't you don't irritate your consumers. That's just bad for business. Or or it feels irrelevant. In my case, yeah. So absolutely, <laughs> and so that kind of leads into to my next question about sort of the products that come about due to AI. And I think Professor Griffin's example with Heinz was great, but Heinz was very open about, hey, we're using AI as kind of, I wouldn't say marketing gimmick, but we're using AI for this campaign and we're being transparent about it. What about um, AI, for example, um, those deep fake videos? I I'm, I'm no idea how to make them, but I know they exist. Uh, things of that nature floating around being used as marketing collateral uh, what kind of unpack, I guess, the, the morality of companies use heavily, heavily using AI and maybe not being as transparent with their customers about what what the content ends up being and, and where it ends up going? I, I think that's a perfect segue into celebrity endorsements in our field. 
there's a there was a recent campaign. I, I think it's yeah, I think it's still active on their site for Virgin Voyages uh, that features Jennifer Lopez, and it's called it's called Gen AI. So they they are transparent about the fact that her appearance and her interactions with you on the site are a for the are AI augmented. Let's put it that way, and it's work produced by an agency called VM VMLYNR, and you know, from a business standpoint, that's a great way to efficiently use their talent because you can bring JLo in for a, a day or two of shooting for a variety of segments for the campaign. But then a lot of the interactions and the rest of it, you can deep fake her. You can simulate her voice to say anyone's name. You can personalize an experience when a when a customer goes to the site and wants to learn about a cruise or an excursion opportunity. So it, you know, it's kind of, it makes perfect sense in terms of what the business goals are. I think when you think about the experience that the consumer has in that situation, it's not really an authentic experience. It's, it's been created and obviously done so with the consent of that particular celebrity. But I think when we see examples like that, it, it raises the question, well, how far is too far? And, and we've already seen examples of, of celebrities in our culture and, and, and famous people who have complained about the fact that in some cases they've been used in messages that they didn't endorse and they never approved of. Uh, and so I think that just like Tracy was talking about earlier, there's always going to be a lag in the regulation of this type of work because, you know, a lot of our politicians are of a certain age and aren't up to date on the latest technology. And so therefore the last thing they're going to know how to do is regulate it. And so um, I think some challenges are already emerging um, that we're going to have to address. I agree, Glenn. And I think augmentation is another challenge. We've long had conversations about beauty standards and standards of success and how we define who 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 is entitled to define. Do we each define those things individually? There's a lot of conversation and has been for decades, if if not long before that. If we're looking at deep fakes, if we're looking at um, filtered photographs, um, augmented videos, we come back to building an unhealthy, unattainable standard potentially. And everyone will have their own point of view on this, of course, but if we remove authenticity, if we start making changes to um, remove quote unquote flaws, then then what are we doing to one another psychologically? What standards are we setting? What expectations are we setting? Then we start to get into conversations about mental health. And you know, we already have an issue with Instagram celebrities. I woke up like this. No, you didn't. It took you three, two and a half hours uh, to look like you just woke up like this. You've got teenagers that are, um, you know, self-harming and and having very severe issues with with anxiety and the like because you can't compete. Well, I think that's an excellent point. And as we are wrapping up our conversation, I want to give each of you a chance to just reflect uh, just on your opinion. Where do you think we go from here as creatives, as marketers, knowing that AI is only going to continue to get better? And that could be a good thing or a bad thing, obviously, based on our conversation so far. But I'll give each of you a chance to have sort of a final word on where we go from here. 
All right, I'll jump in. I think we have a lot of learning to do now, and I think we will continue to have a lot of learning to do. This is not a topic where we will learn about it once and then be set. Uh, this will be an ongoing challenge from uh, a learning standpoint. So I encourage my students to become lifetime learners. I remind them frequently that change will be the only constant. So as we look at AI that's available now, um, it's, it's clunky, it's fun and it's helpful um, in certain respects, but it's, it's rapidly improving, it's rapidly becoming uh, more pervasive and, and more helpful and, and more dangerous at the same time. So we are going to need those who, I, who prioritize ethics. We are going to need strategists. We are going to need technologists, certainly. But as it relates to uh, marketing, um, media, creativity specifically, we need to make some decisions on what is and is not appropriate for AI to be involved in. I think it will serve as a companion. I think it will serve as a very helpful tool in a number of ways. Can it write copy for us? Yes, it can. Does that copy need to be reviewed for accuracy now and in the future? Of course. We look at AI quickly becoming uh, biased, quickly introducing um, things we need to be concerned about into the into the conversation. I don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon. It will certainly learn and become better, but will it become perfect? No, I don't believe it will. So as we look at the tasks that it can replace, pulling reports, formatting, um, formatting presentations, can it iterate uh, landing pages? Absolutely, it can. Um, can it iterate display creative TV ads? We need to make some decisions there on how we're using AI and why we're using AI. Are we using AI to cut time? Are we using it to free up um, two hours in the workday to spend doing strategic tasks that AI can't do? How do we um, re-educate those in our existing workforce? How do we make adjustments to the educational process? You know, advertising schools have not had data science uh, areas of focus in the past. Um, if you wanted to learn how to code, you you went down the street to the engineering school and and studied computer science. But the reality is, we need those people in our in our business right now. And computer scientists, uh, data scientists, typically not trained on humanity and consumer behavior the way advertising and marketing students are. So. Um, I think as we look forward, a lot of purposeful decisions need to be made and then they need to be remade. I think we need to have a lot of different voices at the table, not everyone at the table with the same type of educational background, with the same point of view. I think we need a lot of different points of view at the table um, to provide guidance that's as responsible as 
as possible. Um, and then we need to revisit and revisit and revisit um, and just build this into our process as we look at technology, process, and people. All three of those things are equally important. We need to equip our team members um, to work with AI. Um, human in the loop is a very um, common phrase you'll start to hear um, if you haven't already. It's really important from my view. I think right now um, I see artificial intelligence as more valuable um, from a tactical standpoint than a strategic standpoint, partially because of you know the widely perceived imperfections that are still in, in the technology. But also, as I mentioned earlier, just from the standpoint of our uh, professional obligations to our clients in an industry like advertising, but, you know, we also have to remember that AI is not going anywhere and we have to confront it as the reality that it represents. Um, at this point in history, I think students and many consumers uh, are using AI to see what they get from it. Whereas I think the creative process is meant to see what we can discover. And that means intentionally getting weird, thinking randomly and off beaten paths. These are all things that creative professionals are trained to intuitively do, and they want to avoid, you know, prescriptive paths to ideas. And so we can't let AI replace that part of what humans bring to the table. And I really do believe, and I'm not embarrassed to say it, the human mind is the elite platform. I, I don't think AI represents a challenge to that. And, you know, students, God bless them. They love everything that's new and they love everything that's next. Um, and, you know, Tracy and I as educators have to sort of chase them to figure out what they're thinking and what's most important and most interesting to them at any given time. But I have to constantly remind the students that their best calling card is showing what their own brains can do to a potential employer, to someone who's looking to hire them as an intern. I want them to know about AI and what it can do and what it can't do. They need that knowledge, but we have to privilege, in my opinion, human creativity. And with that thought, we'll leave it there. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts today. Professor Tracy Arrington and Professor Glenn Griffin both teach at the University of Texas, Austin. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for tuning in to School PR Drive Time. Don't forget to rate this podcast and share it with a colleague or friend. Thanks to Peach Jar for their support of this episode of School PR Drive Time.